This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 22. Was Peter special? Of course, Peter the Apostle was special. He was an apostle. He was one of the relatively few in human history who was alive when the God-man walked the earth. In addition to that, he was chosen to be among Christ's own apostolic company. So, of course, he was special. I bet his mom thought he was special, too. But the question in this episode is, among the apostles, was Peter special? That is, did he have primacy? Was he first among the apostles? Not just in some kind of honorific way, but did he have a special mandate from Christ, unique among the apostles? Did he have a special authority that the other apostles didn't have? This, of course, is the claim of the Catholic Church, that Peter was given a special authority to be the visible head of the church on earth, to be the vicar of Christ, who would lead and guide the universal church with a particular authority as the servant of all the servants of God, as the one who holds the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And furthermore, this authority is also given to his successors, whom we call the popes. So that is the claim of the Catholic faith. Let's see if the scriptural evidence and the evidence from the early church warrants that belief or warrants that claim. The first indication of Peter's special place among the apostles is that his name was changed. And we know from salvation history that this name change is given to some of the most important figures. Think of Abram becoming Abraham. Think of Jacob being Israel. At Christ's first meeting with Simon in John 1 verse 42, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So he calls him the word for rock in Aramaic, which in Greek is Petros, and then anglicized is Peter. So that's the first indication, and we'll go into the significance of that name change in a bit. Another piece of evidence is that whenever the apostles are listed in the Gospels, Peter is always named first, and if you don't think that's significant, uh, Judas is always named last. So uh, interpret that as you will. But in Matthew chapter 10, in Mark chapter 3, in Luke chapter 6, in the book of Acts chapter 1, Peter is always named first among the apostles. And the order of the other names is kind of insignificant because it tends to change a little bit. But Peter's always first. Judas is always last. Sometimes the apostles are just referred to as Peter and the other guys. Like in Luke chapter 9, verse 32, Peter and those who were with him. His name seems to stand out already just in a cursory reading of the gospel. Peter's name stands out more than the others. There are also a number of instances where Peter speaks for the apostles. Think of him in Matthew. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Or when Christ asks his apostles, who do you say that I am? It is Peter who responds, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. At the end of the Bread of Life discourse in John chapter 6, when people are leaving because his saying was difficult, he turns to his apostles and asks, are you going to leave too? And Peter is the one who says, to whom shall we go, Lord? We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. An even more significant moment is in Luke chapter 22, one of the times he predicts Peter's denial. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail, 
and you, once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So this indicates, again, a, a unique place for Peter among his apostles, that he is the one to strengthen their faith. When the women arrive at the tomb and find an empty tomb, the angel tells them, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Again, Peter's name set apart from the others. There's indication that he appeared first to Peter among the apostles. In Luke 24, 34, they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. But of course, all of this building up to the most important verse that we need to look at. After Peter confesses that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus says to him, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So there's a lot in that statement of Christ, and it seems very clear. He already had named him at their first meeting, Rock, Peter, Cephas. And he's saying, and upon this rock I will build my church. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. To claim that he names Peter Rock, and says, you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, that he changes the meaning of rock halfway through that statement is a bit of a stretch. It's certainly less obvious and less clear from the plain meaning of Christ's words there that somehow he's making a distinction between the rock, which is Peter, and some other rock. And that's the claim to deny Peter's primacy is that Jesus is saying, you are rock, and upon this rock, meaning something else like this, the faith that you just displayed, Christ named him rock, and this seems to be the reason why. Not just because he would display faith, because we see that Peter, in fact, is very inconsistent in that regard in the Gospels, but that he named him rock because he would be, in some sense, and we'll try to explain that or unpack that here next, but that in some sense, the church will be built upon him. And that statement of Christ, along with the other things we've said before, right, that Peter obviously had some kind of primacy. He was always named first. He was named more often. He spoke for the apostles. That Christ is now saying that he will build his church upon the rock. He will give him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So to say that he is rock, but upon some other rock, he'll build his church. But then he'll give his keys to the kingdom of heaven to Peter. That would certainly be a less clear, a less plausible interpretation than the plain meaning of what Christ is saying. And of course, another important moment is after the resurrection, when the apostles again see the risen Christ and they are with him on the seashore. Christ asks Peter three times, Simon, do you love me? And after each response, he tells him to feed his sheep. So it seems he's giving a special shepherding authority, a different kind of shepherding authority than what he has given his other apostles. Because while it's true that he very clearly gives authority to the other apostles, of binding and loosing, of forgiving sins, etc. There are these moments that are unique to Peter where he is given these mandates in a different way, in a unique way. So all of these are indications that Peter held a special authority. So let's see how that authority plays out in other parts of the New Testament, specifically in Acts. You'll recall that, that Peter was the one who assembled the apostles and decided, based on scripture, that they needed to replace Judas. One of the first acts of the church is led by Peter. He's also the one that doles out punishment. In Acts 5, there's Ananias and Sapphira who sold property to give the money to the church but held some back for themselves. And Peter said, 
Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold wasn't the money at your disposal? You have not lied just to human beings but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what happened there. So Peter is not only here speaking for the church, but confidently asserting that Ananias lied not just to the church, but to God. You know, speaking that clearly and confidently in the place of God's church shows a preeminent authority that he knew he enjoyed. When another Simon, a different Simon in Acts chapter 8, tries to buy the apostles' ability to impart the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands, he says, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. When St. Paul and Barnabas saw that there were some who were teaching that people needed to abide by the old law, that is to undergo circumcision in order to be saved as Christians, they brought this question to Peter and the other apostles in Jerusalem. And after discussion, it was Peter who made the decision in uh, verse 7 of Acts chapter 15. Peter got up and addressed them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So very clearly, Peter, both leading this council and also making the definitive statement, this is why this is called by some, you know, the first ecumenical council of the church, the first meeting of the whole church, of the leaders or the bishops of the whole church to make decisions about the church's faith and practice. Now, moving on from scripture to see proofs in the early church, I want to read a somewhat lengthy excerpt from St. Irenaeus, who was a disciple of St. Polycarp, who in turn was a disciple of John the Apostle. Just to give an idea of the structure and the belief of the early church, specifically with regard to the governance of the church by Rome. So he says, Since it would be very tedious to reckon up the successions of all the churches, we do put to confusion all those who, in whatever manner, whether by an evil self-pleasing, by vainglory, or by blindness and perverse opinion, assemble in unauthorized meetings, we do this by indicating that tradition derived from the apostles of the very great, the very ancient, and the universally known church, founded and organized at Rome by the two most glorious apostles, Peter and Paul, as also the faith preached to men, which comes down to our time by means of the successions of the bishops. For it is a matter of necessity that every church should agree with this church on account of its preeminent authority. So here he's, he's saying, there are various churches throughout the world. That is, there's uh, not different churches, but local churches of the one church. So I say the church in Corinth, the church in Philippi, etc. But here he's making the case for the preeminence of the church in Rome. When he talks about the episcopate in this long quotation, he's referring specifically to the succession of bishops in Rome. Quote, The blessed apostles then, having founded and built up the church, committed into the hands of Linus the office of the episcopate, of this Linus, Paul makes mention in the epistles to Timothy. To him succeeded Anacletus, and after him, in the third place from the apostles, Clement was allotted the bishopric. This man, as he had seen the blessed apostles and had been conversant with them, might be said to have the preaching of the apostles still echoing in his ears. 
and their traditions before his eyes. In the time of this Clement, no small dissension having occurred among the brethren at Corinth, the church in Rome dispatched a most powerful letter to the Corinthians, exhorting them to peace, renewing their faith, and declaring the tradition which it had lately received from the apostles. To this Clement there succeeded Evaristus. Alexander followed Evaristus, then six from the apostles, Sixtus was appointed. After him, Telephorus, who was gloriously martyred, then Hyginus, and after him, Pius. After him, Anacetus. Soter having succeeded Anacetus, Eleutherius does now, in the twelfth place from the apostles, hold the inheritance of the episcopate. In this order and by this succession, the ecclesiastical tradition from the apostles and the preaching of the truth have come down to us. And this is most abundant proof that there is one and the same vivifying faith which has been preserved in the church from the apostles until now and handed down in truth. So this might be the most thorough and clear description of how the early church functioned and how the early church viewed the office of Peter and his successors. That Peter obviously had some primacy and that his successors enjoyed the same primacy to the extent that the Bishop of Rome could send authoritative teaching to the bishops of other churches. That is, the Bishop of Rome, Clement, sent a church in another place, Corinth, a letter as their chief shepherd, you might say. Another quote from one of the church fathers, Tertullian, says, This is the way in which the apostolic churches transmit their lists. Like the church of the Smyrnians, which records that Polycarp was placed there by the apostle John, like the church of the Romans, where Clement was ordained by Peter. Eusebius of Caesarea, who wrote the famous church history, writes, Paul testifies that Crescens was sent to Gaul, but Linus, whom he mentions in the second epistle to Timothy as his companion at Rome, was Peter's successor in the episcopate of the church there, as has already been shown. Clement also, who was appointed third bishop of the Church of Rome, was, as Paul testifies, his co-laborer and fellow soldier. Julius, who occupied the episcopate of Rome in 341, writes, Are you ignorant that the custom has been to write first to us and then for a just decision to be passed from this place, Rome? What I write about this is for the common good. For what we have heard from the blessed apostle Peter, these things I signify to you. There are many more such quotations from the early church fathers up through the centuries, but hopefully what we've quoted here shows continuity from the words of Christ to Peter into the life of the early church as seen in Acts through the time of the church fathers, some of whom were taught by the apostles themselves. This shows a great continuity from the time of Christ up through the centuries. So does Peter have a special primacy? Is Peter special? It certainly seems that he is from the words of Christ, from the understanding of Peter himself, from his actions and words in the earliest times of the church, and from his immediate successors and those who knew the other apostles. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please help this podcast continue by becoming a member at my Patreon, patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief. Also, please follow and subscribe and give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. God bless.